F-35 controversies, capabilities and myths. Why is the Joint Strike Fighter program so widely criticized? This is the Defense Aviation Podcast, Episode 8. Run free and dive into the sky. Hear the wind crying out its prayer. Why are we so ashamed to be alive? Break the chains and our freedom is ours to take. Are you frustrated with high-cost press release distribution services that just fail to give you the right exposure? For just $7.99 per year, we will publish your press releases that will reach the right audience in the aerospace industry. Visit defenseaviation.com forward slash PR and use the coupon code podcast to get 16% discount. Welcome to Defense Aviation Podcast. I'm your host, Larkins D'Souza, founder of defenseaviation.com. Today, we have F-35 test pilot Billy Flynn from Lockheed Martin Corporation destroying myths about the Joint Strike Fighter program. For show notes or to ask any questions to Billy, visit defenseaviation.com forward slash episode 8. Billy Flynn is a test pilot for the F-35 program at Lockheed Martin. Before joining Lockheed Martin, Billy flew CF-18 Hornet for the Canadian Air Force and has flown 25 combat missions over Kosovo and former Republic of Yugoslavia. Welcome to the show, Billy. Larkin, thanks for having me today. Take a moment, fill us any blanks from that introduction and give us a glimpse into your personal life. Uh, you mentioned that I'm a test pilot for Lockheed Martin. I'm lucky enough to fly the F-35 Lightning II. Uh, but I started this because my father and mother are both veterans of the Canadian Air Force. My father was a fighter pilot, and as a kid I grew up around jet airplanes. Uh, I think I probably always wanted to fly fighter jets and uh, went through the Canadian military system and military college and then eventually into pilot training. The path to test pilots is a little different, though. I, I don't want to sound like it's cliched, but I read the book The Right Stuff, the right Stuff by Thomas Wolfe, and that's what gave me an insight into the world of, uh, in the day, Chuck Yeager, the early astronauts, and all that happened at places like Edwards Air Force Base. And that's what sent me off on a tangent to become a test pilot. And I was lucky enough to pursue that uh, dream, and now it's, uh, it's clearly been a career as a test pilot. You're at a party, and someone asks you, Billy, what exactly do you do for a living? How would you answer that in under 10 seconds? I'm a test pilot for the F-35. I fly the coolest jet on the planet. That's awesome. Take a step back and talk to us on how you started in this industry. Um, well, again, the cliche is I read the book, The Right Stuff, and uh, found out about what that was all about. And that uh, sent me to apply to a test pilot school. I went to the United States Naval Test Pilot School at the Naval Air Station in Patuxent River. For your listeners, it's um, near Washington, D.C., on the east coast of the United States. And after that, I went across the United States to California to the West Coast, and I flew at Edwards Air Force Base, the mecca for test pilots. I flew there as a Canadian officer on exchange with the United States Air Force, and I flew 
F-16s, and I did some work with the NASA facility that was there. It's a fascinating place. It really is the, the origins of, where, of what test pilots are and where big things happened over so many years. I flew with Chuck Yeager. I did fascinating research um, in the day way back when. Uh, thrust vectoring was the research that I did 20-something years ago, and it lit a fire that uh, burns, burns uh, still today. I'm as passionate about flying as now as I was even as a youngster. To some who have never heard of F-35 or Joint Strike Fighter program, can you talk to us in brief the history of the aircraft and the program? So let's go back to the very beginning. In 1997, Lockheed Martin was selected as one of two companies to participate in the Joint Strike Fighter concept dem demonstration phase. In October of 2001, the Lockheed Martin X-35 was chosen as the winner of that competition, and we teamed up with Northrop Grumman and BAE Systems to begin production. First flight of this airplane, uh, which we named the Lightning II, the F-35 Lightning II, was in December 2006, a little more than 10 years ago. Um, so far, now in the 10-year period, we have accumulated over 100,000 flight hours, the aircraft, the F-35, operates in 12 different bases worldwide, including in Israel, Italy, and with the United States Marine Corps in Iwakuni, Japan. Almost 500 pilots have flown the jet to date, and over 4,400 maintainers or technicians um, have flown it. We are almost done with what we call the system design and development phase. Let's call it that. Let's call that the formal testing of the airplane. We expect to be done by the end of this calendar year. Uh, the program does not grow slowly. We don't grow linearly. We grow rapidly, almost exponentially, in the number of pilots that fly the airplane, in the number of airplanes that are built, and the progression of uh, uh, airplanes in service with the various countries that have bought the F-35. Why did Lockheed Martin choose to work with so many partners and countries for the Joint Strike Fighter program? Well, I think that the notion in the beginning was that this was going to be a massive program, and so to ensure the economies of scale and the commonality of operating and supporting and sustaining F-35s around the world, we parsed out the work to uh, across the, the United States and around the partner nations who participate in the F-35. We expect to build more than 3,000 F-35s over the production lifetime of this airplane, which is potentially as long as 40 years. This airplane is going to be around for um, our ground grandchildren to fly. And so the work is shared amongst everyone that participates in this, um, in this massive program. How long have you been flying the F-35? Well, I've been involved in the program for a long, long time. I've been flying the airplane as I was the 39th pilot to fly the F-35, and I've been flying it since June of 2012. I fly it every day, or almost every day. I fly all three variants of the F-35, the A model, which is the conventional takeoff and landing version, the Stovall airplane. Uh, Stovall stands for short takeoff vertical landing. And then the carrier variant, that's the Navy variant that was meant to land off big air, land and take off from big aircraft carriers. So I fly all three versions of the F-35. Billy, is it a lot of pressure to test such an expensive aircraft? 
Uh, well, first of all, I would tell you that everyone pilot that flies it loves the pressure and the stress of it all. We don't really think about that. I th well, maybe we do because we love it so much. I think, and I speak for every pilot that flies and tests it, we recognize how important each flight is. This program dwarfs every other developmental program in history. And so when we get into an airplane, we understand how big, how complex, how, how, um, how important this program is. Our preparation to fly is vastly more complicated and thorough or complex and thorough than in any other program before us. We do more studying. We simulate uh, every flight that we're going to fly. We prepare uh, in our briefings much uh, in a more thorough fashion than ever before, and our flights are longer, they're more efficient, we get more accomplished than in any other program in history. Uh, I will tell you that we, I love it today as much as I have in the beginning. It's exciting, it's dynamic, it's fascinating technically, and as a pilot, it's a brilliant airplane to fly. Some experts claim the F-35 has bad maneuverability. As a test pilot, how do you answer questions of air-to-air -air combat capabilities of the F-35? <laughs> In the Paris Air Show, we crushed that myth about the maneuverability of the F-35, and there will no longer be a conversation about our capability in the air. In six minutes, we showed the entire aviation world what this aircraft was, a fraction of what this aircraft was capable of. We dominated in a six-minute routine that air show now a couple months ago, and I think that we have dispelled all the myths about the maneuverability of but the F-35. Uh, F-35 is a fifth-generation airplane. We have uh, a fascinating stealth technology, a full sensor suite. Sensor fusion is one of the key technologies that we incorporated in the F-22 and now the F-35. We fly with situational awareness, so uh, and a an awareness of everything around our airplane that never existed in any fourth-generation aircraft that flies today. And it's been recognized by virtually every pilot that has flown this airplane, by the military leaders that have studied it and, uh, and, have, uh, and whose countries have bought the airplane, that if you were a fourth-generation aircraft and came across an F-35 in a combat scenario, you wouldn't have a chance. Our record in uh, major technical exercises like red flag held in Las Vegas, Nevada, where the F-35 dominated more than 20 to 1 in, a kill, ra in kill ratios, shows or demonstrates how lethal, how um, unsurpassed this, the capability of the F-35 is. So the short answer to your question is, I think we crushed it in Paris. I think the conversation of our, about our maneuverability has been... Uh, uh, changed entirely. It would, let's go talk about Paris for a second, if we may. Yeah, uh, you personally piloted the F-35 at the, at the Paris Air Show, right? I am the pilot of the F-35 demo pilot, and I flew the first public demonstrations of the F-35, essentially the only ones so far. Wow, okay. We created, we created this demonstration with uh, some real goals in mind. We wanted to change the conversation about the about the F-35, and we wanted so we wanted to dispel the myths of the F-35, as you talked about. We wanted to create a global billboard where people would recognize 
what the F-35 was, and then we're, would be willing to listen to what it really is capable of, which is uh, be, being very lethal, being survivable, being extremely capable in interoperable warfare and coalition warfare. And then we wanted to make sure we had a demonstration where everyone could understand our messaging. So whether it's the young kids at an air show or the media or politicians or decision makers, we wanted to demonstrate what the aircraft was capable of so that they would understand or be able to, um, uh, well, be able to understand how the aircraft would help them in, in the places where it would fly. And the feedback we have is that we were pretty darn successful doing that. It was a huge, huge effort, a huge team effort. I'm, I'm just the guy that flew it, but we had a massive team of engineers, scientists, of fellow test pilots, of animators, of, um, of graphic artists, and then an amazing team from the United States Air Force that supported from the uh, highest-ranking officers down to a fabulous team of technicians from Hill Air Force Base in uh, Utah, in Salt Lake City, Utah, who were the technicians for all my practices and throughout the Paris Air Show. We had a massive, massive team effort to allow us to get to Paris and to demonstrate as successfully as we did. I think we more than surpassed our goal of changing the conversation about the F-35. What was the thought of other air forces during the air show? What, what did they think about the F-35? The, unit, the feedback universally from everyone we encountered. So that would be decision makers, politicians that I met, fellow uh, fighter pilots from uh, every nation that I encountered, and then spectators there on the tarmac that I met or heard from afterwards was universally how impressed, how amazed, and how surprised they were of the capability of the airplane. The term the French used that I love most is méchant, and méchant means or translates into nasty or wicked. And everyone that watched that show thought the air show was nasty, it was wicked. The airplane dominates so much. Without, even, without thrust vectoring or without the benefit of thrust vectoring, we showed maneuverability at 50 degrees angle of attack in yaw rates. So for your listeners, that means spinning in complete control at 50 degrees a second. And to be able to do all of that without the benefit of thrust vectoring, without the benefit of thrust vectoring, demonstrates amazing capability with our flight control system. We showed power, raw, brute power, like the F-16 has. With a 2,000-foot takeoff roll into a straight vertical climb, we didn't have to run to the end of the runway like most airplanes do. We had so much power, we could pull straight up on takeoff. That's, that's fabulous power to show how much, uh, how much authority we have with our most powerful fighter engine ever built, the F-135 engine. And then we showed slow-speed maneuverability. I was an F-18 demonstration pilot. I flew at the Paris Air Show 30 years ago with the F-18, and the F-18 is pretty good slow speed, and we showed how fabulous the airplane is, slow speed flying even slower than I had done years ago. So in the F-35, I flew slower than when I had done it with the F-18. I think all of those maneuvers and the feedback that we received from fighter pilots who are 
um, pretty credible spectators tells us that we um, made in the six minutes that we had, we made the demonstration as effective as we wanted it to be. Why does the United States need the F-35 and when they could have concentrated on building more F-22s? Well, I can't speak to why the United States Air Force uh, or how they set up their force structure. I can tell you that the F-35 does the roles that the F-16 or F-18, those are the two airplanes I know best, accomplished in their era, a multi-role fighter that can do many particular jobs that once upon a time were done by individual airplanes. So around the world, we know the F-16 as the quintessential fourth-generation multi-role fighter. And it's accepted whether you're in Denmark or Norway or Belgium or the Netherlands or here in the United States, it's accepted as a fabulous airplane capable of doing multiple roles. As a former Canadian Air Force pilot, the F-18 was pretty capable in an air-to-ground and an air-to-air role uh, for, for the nation that, and where I flew it. That's what the F-35 is meant to do. It's more than 40 years since um, the F-16 first flew. It's, I, I first flew the F-18 35 years ago, 34 years ago. Those airplanes have done their time, and it's time to be replaced. The F-35 is an extremely capable multi-role fighter, and it'll do more missions than were ever accepted by the nations that are buying it. It's, it will be exceptional, exceptional at suppression of enemy air defenses, air-to-air, air-to-ground. Those are traditional roles. And then the most interesting is the role of ISR, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. We suck up electrons. We see so much out there in our airplane. We gather so much data at phenomenal ranges away from the airplane that we will be able to gather data and intelligence on uh, our adversaries, whether they're in the air, in, on ships, or somewhere on the ground far, far away, and they'll never know we're gathering that data. So uh, as a multi-role fighter, I think the F-35 has a fabulous future ahead of it. And for people to understand it, it's just like uh, what we, did, we tried to do with the F-16 over the many, many years it flew. Why is the Joint Strike Fighter program so widely criticized? It's the single largest U.S. defense contract in history. We live in an era of iPhones and Blackberries and texting. Uh, we're Skyping today. Uh, technologies demand instant feedback and instant news cycles. So I think we get a lot more attention than we would have years ago. Let me tell you my history so that helps give perspective. I was the first baby pilot in Canada to fly the CF-18. The F-18 was haunted. It was grounded. It was, re it was built or restructured on the outside because of tail cracks that were so significant. The tail fatigue was so dramatic that it cracked through the tails of uh, at least one of our F-18s early on. And the F-18 for the next 30-something years had metal pieces bolted on the outside. So that would tell me way back when the F-18 had serious structural problems, yet it went on to live a pretty successful career. I flew the Eurofighter Typhoon really early on in its lifetime, and uh, I'm actually the unfortunate pilot that found a deadly pilot-induced oscillation problem in the flight control system 
that forced us to completely redesign how the aircraft flew pretty late into its development cycle. So Typhoon had a major problem in its, in its development, and it went on to live a, a, a pretty strong life as an airplane. What we encounter in F-35 is no different than we have seen in, in my history of uh, flying fighter jets, and we've been pretty successful, very successful so far, getting past the developmental issues and having an airplane that every pilot loves or everyone that flies it loves. And so our, our history is no different than anyone else's. Our appetite for instant news is different, and that's why people pay attention to this program different than the other programs that I was involved in years ago. Why are there so many controversies with the F-35 program than there were with the F-22? Um, again, I, my history was with Typhoon, F-18s, to tell us that we every program has challenges. I think it's our appetite for uh, instant news, and people are paying attention. It's a very expensive program. It gets a lot of oversight. And whether, whether we think there's controversies or not, there's a very positive, productive part of our development. I work in an integrated test force at the Tuxent River, and we have the same thing at Edwards Air Force Base. Only of the test pilots that fly our airplane, only one-third of us, or one-quarter of us, are from Lockheed Martin or, in one case, uh, BAE systems. The rest of the test pilots are from the United States Navy, Marine Corps, Royal Navy, Royal Air Force, or United States Air Force. They do the bulk of the testing. We, as the pilots who represent the manufacturers, do uh, sit next to them, but we don't fly the bulk of it. And that tells me that the customer pilots, the experts from the companies that are the countries that are buying it, are involved in the testing along the way. And so while we might get lots of attention about how our development is going, we have a a fabulous model to ensure that the customer knows everything about the airplane as we develop it and helps us enhance the product quicker than would have been the cases in other developmental programs. And that's why we are as successful as we are now. Uh, Nearly 500 pilots flying it, uh, more than 100,000 flight hours deployed on 12 bases. This aircraft is off to the races, as we would say in English, in its now um, deployment operationally and through the training for the young pilots. Where does F-35 stand technologically against Chinese J-20 or Russian Sukhoi PAKFA? I can't speak directly to those airplanes. I can tell you that this is the third generation of stealth airplanes that Lockheed has developed. So go back in history to the F-117, that little black airplane that was that people remember from the first Gulf War, uh, then into the F-22, the dominant, absolutely unsurpassable capability of the F-22 Raptor, and now into the F-35. This is our third generation of building airplanes with stealth technology, of Uh, enhancing maneuverability as the years went on, of being able to uh, sustain the stealth capability even in spite of maintenance and harsh conditions. And I think we've learned so much from those previous two fighters. It's why we give ourselves so much mm, credibility or why we think we have credibility when we talk about stealth technologies. It's more than just geometrical shapes. And if someone somewhere was starting out with uh, their first stealth airplane and wanted to compare it 
to what an F-35 is like in all dimensions, in all aspects, I think that's an entirely different conversation. It's why we are significantly ahead of anything that would be deployed anywhere else in the world when we talk about the F-35. Billy, we are at the end of the show. If you could recommend one book to our listeners, what would it be? Well, it's a great question, a fun question. I don't want to sound cliched, but uh, the book, The Right Stuff. Not the movie, the book by Tom Wolfe. The movie is fabulous. The star, uh, who uh, Sam Shepard, who played Chuck Yeager in the movie, recently died. It's an iconic movie for people that want to come test, become test pods. But the book tells the myth about what this world uh, that I work in uh, is all about. And I think that's a fun read for your listeners if they're interested in this part of aviation. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us about the F-35 program. I really appreciate it. Before we say goodbye, what would be the best way to connect with you? Well, you can follow me on Twitter, at Billy Flynn is my name on Twitter. And um, thank you again for having me. It's been fun talking today. Thank you so much, Billy. That was Billy Flynn of Lockheed Martin Corporation. If you have any questions for Billy and for show notes, please visit defenseaviation.com forward slash episode 8. If you liked this episode, please give us an honest rating and review on iTunes by visiting defenseaviation.com forward slash iTunes. Do you have any announcement about your company's new products or services? Let us publish your press releases and give you the right exposure in the aerospace defense industry. Please visit defenseaviation.com forward slash PR and enter the coupon code podcast to get 16% discount.